What transforms the dying process for patients and loved ones? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and joining me is Dr. Bill Manahan. Dr. Manahan is the past president of the American Holistic Medical Association and an assistant professor emeritus at the University of Minnesota Medical School. The book Living Consciously, Dying Gracefully is about his wife's journey with cancer. Dr. Manahan, welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. Thank you, Susan. It's good to be here. Dr. Manahan, you wrote the foreword to this book. Who wrote the book? The book was written by my sister, Nancy Manahan, and her life partner, Becky Bowen. They each have written a couple of other books in the past, so they're uh, experienced authors, and they worked uh, about two years on it. How was the title of the book chosen? Living consciously, dying gracefully. So those two words. One thing is that with serious and chronic disease, we feel it's important for people to be conscious of the part that they can play in the treatment of whatever problem they have. So living consciously is being conscious that we as people, as patients, as clients, can have a lot more control and power than we often think we can. I feel we turn way too much power over to the medical system and the physicians. That's consciousness. The second part is dying gracefully, and that involves that death does not have to be something that's feared, but something that we can entertain with grace and dignity. And that's how Diane did it. She lived very consciously, and she died very gracefully, and it felt like a very appropriate title. How has your attitude about death changed because of your wife's illness? I certainly have talked a bunch about that because giving talks about this and talking to people, been on one of the small percentile of people who have been quite comfortable with death, whether my own thinking of my own death or my family's death or patient's death. I have not been really fearful of that, but uh, I would have to say that I think I have a more expanded view of acceptance of death and how we can play an active part in it uh, while it's happening. The book chronicles your wife's journey with cancer and includes many powerful stories about many things. Tell us about her life review and how important you believe this is for patients. The life review, I didn't know what a life review was, but it's something that I am surprised that a lot more people are not doing it. We had a friend, one of our best friends, his son, does life reviews, and that's that he sits down with the person who is dying and sort of has goes asks these incredibly wonderful questions about your life and then has you explain it and talk about it. So he offered to do that. We had not thought of this, but about a year before Diane died, when she had metastatic disease and we knew her life was measured in months or at the most a couple of years as opposed to decades, and he came to our house from Michigan, where he lived, and he sat with us for two days and uh, maybe six hours a day, maybe 12 hours of, he had a recording machine on and, and just asked us all these questions. And Diane probably did 80 or 90% of the talking, and I did 10 or 20% filling in and uh, occasionally would ask me a question. But it's basically a chance for that person to tell their life. So it's called a life review, tell their story. Then he typed it up and sent it to us. and. And it was just a really, one, doing the interview was fabulous. It brought up so many both funny and sad and wonderful things. And then having the typed review, we made copies and sent it to our kids and uh, Diane's sister and some things like that. So it was really wonderful. And for her, it really shifted her feeling about being sort of fearful about 
her disease and fearful about dying into much more of an acceptance. So it had a really remarkable effect. Freed her from worry and angst, it seemed, that uh, was made the last 15 months really quite easy for both of us. Do you recall some of the questions he asked? It would be like, if I wanted to know everything about you and had 8 or 10 or 14 hours to do it, you know, I would just say, well, where were you born? And tell me about the town you grew up in. Tell me about your siblings, your parents. Tell me about elementary school. How was that for you? Tell me about junior high. Tell me, you know, just high school, college, uh, your jobs. Uh, how did you meet your boyfriend, your girlfriend? Just taking a, a life review. Did it serve as a validation for her for all that she had accomplished in life and for all the relationships she had? I think that's a good word. Part of what happens is when you come out with this, you say, oh, I, gee, I did do a lot and I, I was in it. And it also names it. It puts it out there and puts it down on paper. And when you see it written, it you know it's, it's your own autobiography in a sense. Most of us do a lot more in our lives than we sort of give ourselves credit for. So the other thing it does is it leaves a legacy. Oh, here, I've told my story. Over 16 hours or 14 hours, I've told my story, and it releases something in us that there's not much left. If you're just joining us, you're listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and with me is Dr. Bill Manahan, discussing the book Living Consciously, Dying Gracefully, a book telling the story of his wife's journey through cancer. Dr. Manahan, what is crossings that's described in the book? That's caring for our own at death. So it would be similar if I went to the delivery of, a, of babies, an allergy would be doing a, a home care delivery on your own. And Crossings is an organization started by a, a woman caring for your own at death. It basically is a resource center, and they provide education and inspiration to families so those families can have a better experience in the both dying process, but mainly in the after-death process. And it's whether you use a funeral director or not. They help family. They realize the choices that can bring greater healing. And I know one of the things in the books that we get the most feedback about is there's a whole chapter maybe uh, describing how our family, how four or five of the kids went with Diane to the crematorium. And the crematorium person was just wonderful. And he said no one had ever come. In all these years he's been doing this, the family never comes. And so he showed them what he does, and then they went out and had something to eat for three or four hours while the cremation was going on. And then they come back, and he opens the thing and shows them how he takes the ashes out and does all this stuff. And it was an incredible experience for my adult children and their spouses. People really comment on that. They, it never occurred to anybody to go to the crematorium and follow the body there and bring the ashes back and make this all a sacred ritual. And so that's the kind of things that crossings that can help people just do things differently. In the book, your sister Nancy, one of the authors, describes how grateful she was for her living in process training while she was caring for your wife, Diane. Describe that training. There's something that has been around maybe 30 years. Ann wilson Shafe is a psychologist, and she's written many books, The Addictive Organization and Women's Reality. And it's basically living in process. Nancy took her training for a number of years, and it's an approach to just living more fully and it's sort of based on recovery from addictions, addictions to substances like alcohol or processes like excess work or 
from painful experiences like abuse, uh, sexual abuse, and things like that. She's not a psychologist, but she had a lot of training in helping people through really tough times. So she was able to be present. That would be a good way of putting it. She was really able to be present with Diane and was there with me and a couple others right at the dying process. Tell us about your wife's life celebration. That was the word that Diane wanted to use for the funeral. So a life instead of a funeral, she wanted a life celebration. So I'd say the main thing, and sort of we all laughed about it, is that she basically planned it in the last two, three months when she knew she was going to be dying. She would call people and ask them to come on over to the house and ask them then if they would play something on their violin or if they would sing a song or if they would give a talk or these types of things. And everybody, you know, pretty much said, yeah, they'd be honored to. We had it in a park, a park we walked around for years. Our main walking spot was this beautiful park in the town we lived in in southern Minnesota. So we had the life celebration there and a huge crowd, and it went really well. I don't have to go into all the details, but just it lasted a couple hours and very different from the average funeral, most most everybody thought. What do you mean by the continuation of consciousness after death? Well, there's a couple of books out. Janice Amadezio, she's a pathologist here in Minneapolis, and she's written two books, and I don't remember the name of them right now. But what she's done is record stories in these books, Janice Amadezio, and it even hit on the New York Times bestseller list, one of them, for a short time. And what she does is talk about experiences that family members have had that go way beyond that somebody just dies and nothing else happens. It's like these people come back to them and have they have these incredible experiences. And, uh, you know, there's been books on out-of-body experiences with near-death experiences. So what I mean is that we in life are connected and we in death are connected and that we may just all be in our physical body now, but energetically and spiritually we all are connected whether we're alive or dead. And so that's what I mean by more and more than evolving body of evidence for a continuation of consciousness after death. Is Janet Amatuzio described as the compassionate coroner? You got it. Good going. One of her books is Forever Ours, I believe. That's it, yes. And then she came out with a new one last year. Have you read it? I read Forever Ours, but the other one is Beyond Something. Yes, but you did read that, Forever Ours. Isn't it just fabulous, her stories? It is. And that's the way that this book is. It's just people read and say, well, these stories are just so, there's just something so real about them. And so it touches, I think, something in all of us that that connects us to the divine or to the ultimate or to a supreme being. I agree with you. I believe it resonates with all of us. And many of us are uncomfortable talking about those things because that's not normally talked about. Are you comfortable talking about any experiences with Diane in this regard? I really have not had any experiences. <laughs> Many other people have, but we would laugh before she died. She said, do you, do you want me? Because people would come up and say, Dan, I want you to give me a sign from the afterlife to come back and, and show me something or do something. She'd say, okay, I'll try. Then she asked me a couple of times, do you want me to do that with you? And I said, it's not necessary. I, I'm a firm believer in continuation of consciousness and uh, afterlife and past lives. And so I said, no, I really don't need it. So I didn't get anything. I've never had anything. I certainly can connect with her at some sort of a level that it feels good to me, but, but it's not what would be called anything uh, out of the ordinary. Dr. Manahan, what's your take-home message today? I think uh, the take-home message would be two things. One is we can be active agents if we choose in our medical care with serious disease or even in our dying. To, we can be in charge and 
not our relatives, not our family, not the medical system, not the coroner, but we can figure out where we are, what we want to do. And the second is what we just talked about, that death maybe is just the start of a new journey and a continuation, but just in a different realm and and without our physical body. What's your best advice for staying in charge? The best way to, to do that is to do some reading and be in discussion groups and to start right now, no matter if you're 20 or 40 or 60, when one goes into the medical system, or actually any system, but what I'm talking here is the medical and healthcare system, to first of all, always have someone with you. As a physician, I always wanted my patients to bring in a partner or a family member or something because so much happens there that, that you need support. And to start taking charge, to go in with written questions of here's what I want out of this visit, to do your homework. But physicians could get their patients to be doing this. And, you know, at some level, we don't want to be parents. Uh, you know, we're trained in a parent-child model as physicians, but but we get so tired of, of making all the decisions and, and sort of running patients' lives. Dr. Manahan, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a delight. I'm Susan Dolan. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com or visit us at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.